America is underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar on this Monday of Thanksgiving week and the first Monday back, Herc, after the end of the uh, international break. You ready to go all in? I am. I know I'm going to ask you later on on Thursday uh, if you're thankful for me, but just say it. <laughs> say it now. Yes, of all the things I'm thankful for on this Thanksgiving week, you, my friend, you, Hercules Gomez, That's are right. at the top of the list. Speaking of lists, here what's coming up uh, later today on Football Americas. Julie Foudy, Herc is going to join us. We're going to talk about the NWSL championship. Also, some startling allegations about now former Chicago Red Stars head coach Rory Dame. So, Julie will be by to talk about all of that. We also have the USL championship final coming up this weekend. A game you can see on ESPN between the Tampa Bay Rowdies and Orange City SC. Aaron Guillen of Tampa Bay will be by uh, to talk about that one. Plus, we got playoffs in Major League Soccer, Herc, and La Liga down in Liga MX. But let's start in Europe, specifically Chelsea and Christian Pulisic. Chelsea, 3-0 winners away at Leicester City on Saturday. Big result, one that keeps them atop the table. Now three points clear of second place Manchester City. As for Christian Pulisic, he entered the game in the 62nd minute, Herc, and he came in up top. He replaced Kai Havertz, who was playing a false nine in Chelsea's 3-4-2-1. As you saw there, nine minutes after coming on, he scores his second Premier League goal of the season, Herc, and it was pretty well taken. It was well taken. You knew he was going to score wearing yellow. Like, this was a given. The, the <laughs> moment he came on, the moment I saw this Borussia Dortmund-inspired uniform, you knew he was going to go in. It didn't matter if he was the nine position or if he was outside. As soon as he got that ball inside from that range, it was all him. So that's why he scored. Okay, it was yeah. the uniform. Got it. Got it. Okay, some interesting comments from Thomas Tuchel on Christian Pulisic and his versatility. In our system, we have, like this naturally, three offensive positions. For me, he can play any positions of these three. He can play in the middle, I guess a number nine. He can play double striker, and he can play as half winger, left side or right side. He had fantastic matches in Dortmund as a wingback as well. Okay, so Tuchel's uh, literally reading us Christian Pulisic's whole resume. <laughs> uh, what do you think of Christian Pulisic as a false nine, and is it a good idea at the national team level? I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> listen, listen for a second, okay? That's his version in his system. Three center backs, Chowell, and what is Reese James on the outside as wingbacks. You got two sixes with range. And then you've got those, if you will, he called them half wingers. They're more like double tens, okay? And then a nine. But that nine's not really a nine. And this is why, and you you should really, really understand this, you were so critical, so critical of Timo Werner. Why is Timo Werner playing there? He doesn't score goals. Why was he playing there, Seba? Because of his movement. Because of what Christian he did Christian Pulisic can't offer that movement? Yes, for Chelsea, not for the U.S. men's national team. I hate the idea of taking your best player and putting in, putting him in somewhere just to plug a hole. Where mm. you need to put Christian Pulisic is in his best position. You don't take Christian Pulisic out of his best position. You know why? Because he's your best player. He's the biggest game changer you have on the U.S. men's national team. So you don't go take him out of wherever it is you think he's best to put him as a false nine because you think you've got a nine problem, a nine so issue. There are two reasons you would consider this if you're Greg Berhalter, right? First is you don't have a nine. You don't have somebody right now who has locked down the position and said, this is mine. So nobody owns that spot. It's Correct. free if you want to put Christian Pulisic. Yeah. The other thing is, Herc, 
it would solve a potential log jam in those wide attacking positions. You got Timothy Weah right now who's making a pretty good case to start, right? You're on the Brendan Aronson hype train from day one. He's making a pretty good case to start. Let's not forget about Gio Reyna, who now you might have to drop into center midfield to get him on the field. If you put Polisic as a false nine, you open the door oh. to getting all those talents on the field at once. Listen, the biggest mistake a coach can make is trying to get all his best players on the field instead of getting his best team on the field. Okay? People crushed Jurgen Klinsmann for this. They killed him for this when he wanted to get his best players on the field. And oftentimes, maybe it wasn't the right decision. You don't take Christian Pulisic out of his best position mm -hmm. just because he can fit somewhere else. You put Christian Pulisic in the position where he can impact the game the most. If you feel that's at the nine position, I'm not saying he can't score you one, two, maybe three goals at that position because he's got that type of talent. But if you're telling me he's better, in certain situations, fighting off these concaf defenders who are just going to kick him from behind, then he would run in at players? I don't believe you. Real quick, since you asked, play him at whatever you think his best role is. What do you think his best role is for the national team? Is it left wing in the 4-3-3? Could be, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You want to get him isolated. I, I don't buy Christian Pulisic in the middle often, at times. I, it, the Canada game, even though he was on the left-hand side, he often veered centrally trying to get the ball. He's best when he has that space and time on the wings where he can pretty much put you on your backside and create from there. So Christian Pulisic and Chelsea with a huge win on Saturday. You know who else hurt? Got a big win on Saturday. That's Wolves and Raul Jimenez. A 1-0 win at home over West Ham, who had been flying. They were top four coming in. Wolverhampton wins thanks to the 58th-minute goal. There you see it from Raul Alonso Jimenez, his third of the season. Speaking of well-taken, her this extremely well-taken. Are you kidding me? That's precision right there, my friend. Not an easy ball to come across. He places it, uses the momentum of the ball, or the placement right there of the pass uh, in his favor. It's a very well-taken goal. Raul Jimenez does it again for Wolves. He does do it again for Wolves, Herc. Now three goals and two assists so far this season for Wolverhampton in the Premier League. The question is, where is this Raul Jimenez with the Mexican national team? Yeah, it's the correct question, even though it's an unfair question. It really is unfair because unfair to no to fault. Unfair to who? To Raul Jimenez. Because of no fault of his own, is Raul Jimenez to blame for El Tri's poor showing? for the lack of consistency with the national team and maybe a club to, uh, play for both Chucky Lozano and Tecatito Corona. He's got better players around him. Quite frankly, he's got a game that's more catered to him at Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton is a team that's going to defend first. Very good defensive team. 12 games, 12 goals against, only 12 goals for. He's a player that's a focal point. Even when he's not putting the ball in the back of the net, he's setting players up. He's the is best playmaker. Is he not the focal maker. point for Mexico? No, the focal point for Mexico is not Raul Jimenez. And it wasn't Raul Jimenez even when he was playing well. It was Chucky Lozano. It was Tecatito mm. Corona. And that's that's what it is. It, it's Tata is Martino. that what it is or is that Tata Martino's fault? It's Tata Martino. Tata Martino okay. wants his play on the wings. He wants Tecatito Corona. He wants Chucky Lozano to be those guys. He wants them to be the benefactors of that good play. And the goals will come from those guys because that's what it was. Not too long ago, Seb, we were talking about Chucky Dependencia. Are they relying too much on Chucky Lozano? Raul Jimenez in form will lessen the load, will be more of a playmaker, like he was uh, against uh, Honduras in the Azteca where he provided that assist to Chucky Lozano. Well, Chucky Lozano actually missed that one, I should say. But it's that type of role for him where he's going to be playing more playmaker than goal scorer for El Tri.
So zero goals and zero assists for Raul Jimenez's first five Premier League games this season for Wolves. Those three goals and two assists, they've all come in the last seven matches, Herc. So he's heating up right now. The form truly is improving with Wolves. We just need to see it with the Mexican national team because Mexico needs it, right? They need that elite-level Raul Jimenez. When you watch this team play right now, they don't have him, and it's a, it's a big part of their problem, whether it's his fault or not. Yeah, I don't think it's his fault. The problem, I don't think it's Raul Jimenez. It's getting the others around Raul Jimenez going. I mean, oftentimes he looks frustrated. The U.S. game and the Canada game, coming out of that nine position, dropping very much into the midfield, trying to get involved. But look at when Mexico was dangerous. It was never through Raul Jimenez. It was Chucky Lozano, Tecatito Corona. Uh, be it however they decided to pull the trigger or not in the final third, that's what it was. They need to find a way of getting Raul Jimenez going because when he's going, they are going. Mentioned it was a big win for Wolves. They're now sixth, Herc, sixth in the Premier League. That after an awful start to the season. So Raul Jimenez and Wolves could, could be headed uh, to some European football next season if they can keep it up. Let's go from the Premier League to Syria and a player you were just talking about, Chucky Lozano. Napoli facing off against Inter Milan on the weekend. And how about this? Inter Milan handing Napoli their first defeat of the Serie A season, a 3-2 loss at the San Siro. Now, Chucky Lozano did start this game, Herc. He played 75 minutes, and he left with Napoli losing 3-1. Napoli are now even with AC Milan for the top spot in Serie A. So not all is lost, despite the fact that Napoli did drop their first game of the season. Now, most interesting about this, Herc, is perhaps not what Lozano did in this game, but what he said last week ahead of this game, these comments about his time at Napoli. The truth is that I am in a very competitive club with very competitive teammates. I have grown a lot in that regard, but I would like to go to a bigger club. I have very clear goals. I feel at a good level, and I would like to take the next step. Now, that's the first part of the quote. Here's a little more context. Sometimes my words can be taken out of context. It is not my intention to clarify or retract something I did not say. I'm playing for Napoli today and I'm hoping to do it for a long time. I'm not doing it simply because it's a football team, but because Naples is where I live, where I'm happy, and where my family and home are. So I will defend it at all costs. All right, Herc, as far as Lozano's comments are concerned, are you cool with it? No, I'm not cool with it, and it looks from the likes of that second comment, that second shot right there, that mm -hmm. second quote, that the fans, the pundits, and even some of his teammates weren't cool with it. That sounded to me like he wants to smooth things over. Listen, you've played 48% of the minutes available to you at Napoli, a huge club right now, a club that's leading Serie A, and you're not an out-and-out -out starter. Politano has taken that away from you. In fact, the only reason you started this last game is because Politano was, well, had COVID. He was out due to COVID. So to say this, Seb, it seems like a slap in the face to many of the supporters, many of, the, many of those fans, many of his teammates and the coaching staff. If you're Chucky Lozano, what is bigger and better? That's my question to you. Where could you possibly go that if you're not starting for Napoli, mm. a bigger and better team, you would be a true player for them. You would be a player, an impact player for them. I don't think that team out there exists today for him. I think he needs to concentrate on Napoli. This part of the quote stood out to me. I have very clear goals. I feel at a good level, and I would like to take the next step. Do you disagree with him there fundamentally, that he's at a good level and is ready for a next step? 
So it's interesting. It's like Raul. Sometimes you have to separate the club player from the national team player because he's been really struggling with the national team. I know he scored. Uh, it come, I think it was Iceland and, and, and Texas and now uh, against Honduras at the Azteca. But before that, he went about a year and a half with no goals. He was really struggling. It was a Chucky Lozano like we've not seen. Chucky Lozano in official matches uh, was struggling. But at Napoli, it's only 13 games. He's got two goals, two assists. He seems like a dangerous player, but he's only played half the minute. So I understand the willingness to want more. But you can want more and still help your team and not throw your team under the bus, not throw your coaches under the bus, not throw your teammates under the bus. And it seems to me like he has this about him, whether it's Pachuca, whether it was in Holland, you know, now in Italy, he just always seems to get himself into trouble. It seems like mentally he can't let himself succeed. There's something about this that sounds like a, come get me. Hey, 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 I'm, I'm not exactly 100% happy right. here at Napoli. If there's anybody that's interested, um, come and get me. And, and I kind of agree with that. I, I sense a guy in Chucky Lozano who maybe has run his race at Napoli. This sounds like a frustrated player. And if the point here is that he thinks he should leave Napoli, then I do agree with him, Herc. To I do think better, his, Seb? I'm not necessarily bigger okay. and better, but I do think his time at, at Napoli has, has for course. me, come yeah. to an end. I, I don't think there's much more. Do you disagree with that? No, I don't disagree with that. But if you're thinking about bigger and better, teams that were sniffing around uh, Chucky Lozano were mm. Everton. You know, that's, a, that's about the extent Well, that of was it. with Ancelotti. Now Ancelotti's at Real correct, Madrid, correct. so there but we go. you're not going to see a that's United the next sniffing rumor. around from. You're not going to see an Why Arsenal. Why not? You don't think he could help a Manchester United or an Arsenal? You don't think he's, he's that good? He's not helping a Napoli right now. So how, well, why, that's why because Napoli spend... chooses to play Politano but instead of gonna, him. That... But if you can't succeed at Napoli, you're going to tell me you're going to jump ship and succeed at United? I'm not telling you he's going to succeed at United. I'm just saying it's <laughs> not beyond the realm of possibility that he would succeed at United. Let's run it back, Serie A style. Speaking of the Italian top flight, let's check in on Gianluca Buzio, who's got another game-winning assist to his credit, Herc, this time in a 1-0 victory over Bologna over the weekend. And there it is. All right, we're going to give him the assist here. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to act like it didn't just come off his leg. Okay. Assist that is not Hercules. take away from the great season he is having. I had a lot of doubts about him in Serie A and how physical it could be. Him in that sixth position, but like a deep line playmaker, he's been doing very well. He has Venezia six points above relegation. Big time for him. Now, time to deal with the national team. Also of note in this game, Tanner Tessman, another young American on the Venezia squad, came in and played the last half hours. They got a 1-0 win. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. The drums increasing. Right. Across. In front of the goal. Chicago has scored. Rachel Hill. Sullivan. And Washington back in the game. Donia is on, Chicago saved! Oh, 
National Women's Soccer League has a new champion, the Washington Spirit. 2-1 winners over the Chicago Red Stars Saturday in Louisville, thanks to an extra-time goal from Kelly O'Hara. Julie Foudy joins us now on Football Americas to break it down. A Julie Foudy who told us last week that not only were the Spirits the favorite, but that Trinity Rodman, Herc, would be the player to watch in this that. game. So if you want to hear it first, you got to hear it Call from it. Julie Foudy right here <laughs> on Football America. So, Julie, let's talk about this final Saturday noon Eastern time in Louisville. For you, did it live up to the hype? It did. It did. And I think uh, the noon uh, Eastern time start for the players also lived up to the hype because you don't not you do not want to be playing at 9 a.m. Uh, as they were originally going to do on the West Coast. Um, but I think the crowd, given it was the start of a holiday week, uh, Saturday, chilly, sunny, 10,000 and what it is about a 12,000 seat stadium. And you got to see a lot of the potential future stars, I think, for the United States. And, uh, and one in Trinity Rodman, for sure, as we've discussed. But given that all this Washington Spirit team has gone through, as we discussed last week as well, uh, with this year, with all that's been happening with the NWSL, but particularly the Spirit and their ownership issues and the players having to stand up and try and get Steve Baldwin out of there, um, I... I, I can't even imagine what they've been through. Uh, and to see the relief on, and joy on their faces uh, was tremendous given the season they've had to endure. Julie, you know, while I was watching this game, I couldn't help but notice the stands. It was reported as a sellout, but it didn't look like a sellout to me. I want to ask you about the neutral site, because back in the day when I was in Major League Soccer, I remember some doozies. A neutral site in Toronto for an FC Dallas versus Colorado game, and it looked quite empty. Should... NWSL think about changing its format when it comes to playoffs, when it comes to the final and not being neutral site, reward the higher seed? Oh, I'd love to see them reward the higher seed. But I, I think for a couple of reasons, um, obviously, that you had this late change to Louisville because it was supposed to be, as we mentioned off the top, a 9 a.m. start in Portland. Uh, the players got that change to Louisville. So that was a late start. But uh, I mean, it's, sorry, a late change. Um, but I still think for it being the start of a holiday weekend, the 10,000 that they reportedly said was there, maybe not quite 10, but it was a good crowd and a good game. Um, but I definitely think if you could give it to the actual finalist that's in that final mm -hmm. uh, in the top seed, then you're going to be seeing packed stadiums. And maybe that's something they have to yeah. look at in these coming years. Yeah, I know uh, here in Washington there was a lot of interest over this game. I don't know what kind of numbers they would have got at Audi Field, but I think they could have uh, certainly sold some tickets here in the nation's capital. Julie, as far as the game itself for me, there were a lot of critical moments. But if we go to extra time, there's a save that I think for me mm. will be recorded in kind of the history books of the NWSL. And it comes from Aubrey Bledsoe really clinging on to lead and helping the Spirits uh, preserve it. It's a one-on-one -on -one against Mackenzie Doniak, who gets in behind the entire Spirit defense. And Aubrey Bledsoe comes up with the huge save. Now, she actually ends up winning NWSL championship MVP. But there were a lot of folks online who thought it should have been Trinity Rodman. Do you think the voters got it right in this case? I, I think you could definitely make the argument that Trin Trinity Rodman uh, could have been the MVP, but I, I don't disagree with this because 
Um, she had, Bledsoe had a tremendous game, and as we've seen all season, has had a tremendous season. She's the NWSL goalkeeper of the year, as we know. Um, but that game is completely different without that save and that moment. And you switch it to the other side with Cassie Miller, and we saw her not make a couple saves um, that were crucial. One, I think the penalty kick she probably could have saved um, that went underneath her. And I think actually that Kelly O'Hara goal, when she looks back on that, is one she probably probably could have got a hand on. Um, so I do I, I do like uh, Bledsoe as the MVP, but it's hard to argue that Trinity Rodman did not do a lot of really good things. Let's stay on uh, Trinity Rodman for a second because I've seen very few players with her skill set. I mean, what she brings to the field, that pass to Kelly O'Hara, I mean, what a pass, right in the needle, in air, her ver verticality, the speed that she offers. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong in saying that not too many players in the pool have that skill set? It's a matter of time until we see her with the women's national team. Yeah, and at 19, Herc, right? I mean, the composure on the ball, she stands up, she faces up, she's got a confidence and a swagger to her already, and she brings so many different elements to the game beyond just pace. How many times do we just see a player with pace, but they don't have all the other elements that go with it, especially on the women's side of the game? Uh, for her to pinpoint this pass, another good look at it, uh, is just gorgeous, but it just wasn't that. I mean, I, she was pushing the pace of that game in the second half. Um, and really dictating how Washington Spirit was getting his chances. She hits the crossbar uh, earlier in the game. She's the one who actually threads that pass into the box that then created the PK for Andy Sullivan to score. So I, I just think there is such an upside and an exciting upside to this player in Trinity Rodman. So the Washington Spirit then win the NWSL Championship on Saturday, and Julie, 48 hours later, we learned that Rory Dames, the head coach of the Chicago mm. Red Stars, uh, has resigned. A few hours after we find out that Rory Dames has resigned, uh, we find out why. An article in the Washington Post by Molly Hensley Clancy detailing allegations of emotional and verbal abuse by multiple former uh, Red Stars players. Among those players, uh, none other than Kristen Press, who had uh, some really almost heartbreaking quotes, uh, Julie, in this article with the Washington Post. She said, I think Rory emotionally abuses players. He uses his power and status as the coach to manipulate players and get close to them. I was terrified of what Rory would do and say if he found out this was something I'd said. And then I was made to feel by U.S. soccer that I was in the wrong. There was nothing to report and that this was acceptable. For so many women in this league, you think you don't have any worth. And if you stand up and you say what you think is right or wrong, Nobody cares. Uh, Julie, mm -hmm. one principal difference um, about these allegations is that the reports didn't go to the National Women's Soccer League. Instead, uh, they mm -hmm. went to U.S. soccer, the actual federation itself. Your reaction uh, to this bombshell news about Rory Dames? Yeah, well, first of all, it's, it's the fifth NWSL coach accused of misconduct uh, this year alone. Fifth male coach accused of misconduct. Uh, when you look across all 10 teams in the NWSL, uh, there's only one coach that hasn't resigned or moved on uh, in the NWSL, and that's in Houston. Um, and what we're seeing again over and over again in women's sports, in society, that this is a systemic problem that doesn't get addressed because the adults in the room don't stand up mm. and protect the players. And again, whether it was U.S. soccer, whether it was the NWSL, I mean, there's different entities at different moments who had the opportunity to step in and say, 
what's going on here? We're looking at this investigation. Let's listen to the players. Let's believe the players. And let's investigate more. And what happens each time? The same thing we keep hearing. They didn't get back to me. The investigation just died. Uh, they told me to be quiet. Uh, and so again and again, there's no forum or protection in place for these players to actually even voice what's going on. And so the cycle continues. And the cycle continues as we saw it with Paul Riley. The cycle continued with Rory Dames. And meanwhile, you have that many more players suffering and having to take this personal toll. And it isn't until they step up and actually go to a reporter, publicly claim what's happening, that people start to listen. And that has to stop. That has to stop in society. Why, as an institution or an adult in the room or the U.S. Soccer Federation, it is your responsibility. And I know we have a change, thank God, in leadership and culture at U.S. Soccer since 2020, because this has to change. They have Sally Yates coming in, doing an independent investigation, and it is going to be interesting what is found in all of that. Julia, pretty damning quotes uh, against Sunil Gulati by a Christian press. Uh, my, my question here is, uh, you mentioned the fifth male coach in the league to be accused of, of misconduct. Why aren't there more female coaches? What's going on? Are, are there not enough qualified coaches? Because I, I find that hard to believe. No, there's qualified coaches, but we're not willing to take a chance on them. We're willing to hire youth coaches. Rory Dames was another youth coach with another club that was local to Chicago, right? And they'll give him a chance. Richie Burke, same thing. Youth coach in a club. There are a lot of women, great women's coaches out there, but you wouldn't see someone hire a woman's coach in a youth club and say, okay, we're going to take her and bring her to the professional level. Why? Because I don't know why, because culture society says that you can't do that. And that's what we have to change. We have to create, of course, more women out there coaching and great coaches, but they're out there. We're just not hiring them. We're fishing in the wrong ponds and we're going back to what's convenient and what's familiar because a lot of times it's guys that are running these organizations, these owners in a place that they're going with what's familiar. And it's this guy they know who's a friend who's familiar. And that has to change. We have to break that cycle. And it just makes me so sad that it always falls on the players' backs to break the cycle. Yeah, you know what's really disappointing, Julie, in all of this, when, when you kind of think about it? These guys aren't leaving, these male coaches, uh, because they've had a crisis of conscience or because somebody above them is policing it. It's really coming down to bravery from the players and exceptional journalism. I mean, for Meg Linehan at The Athletic, for Molly Hensley-Clancy exactly. with The Washington Post, if they yeah. don't do these reports, people like Paul Riley, people like Rory Danes are still managing uh, in the NWSL. Uh, it's great to point it, out the journalism, but, but the people in charge here are really putting that onus on both the players and the press. Yeah, and I would take that one step further, that Meg Linehan and Molly are in newer-ish roles with their full responsibility being beat reporters for women's soccer. And Molly is an investiga investigative reporter for the Washington Post focused on women's sports. And now you're seeing these stories surface. I don't think that's a coincidence because you have these women in these mm. positions who are willing to tell these stories and players that are trusting to go to them and say, this is what's happening and no one is listening. We have no other choice but to go to you and share our stories. And that is not the way the system should work. Mm. And I still believe this NWSL will be, be rebuilt in a stronger and better way. But it has to be with the players having a voice and a say in what's going on going forward, or it shouldn't exist. 
Julie, let's get back to on the field with the U.S. women's national team. They got a couple of friendlies coming up away in Australia, one on the 27th and one on the 30th. I feel like, I don't know, maybe five or ten years ago, if the U.S. went away to Australia for a couple games, the expectation would be that the U.S. women would win both of those games. I wonder if things have changed. Are the U.S. underdogs here, or do we still expect them to win both against the Aussies? <laughs> it's funny, on Twitter, an Aussie fan was like, hey, wait, I'm going to this game. I want to see some of the U.S. stars. And all these American fans were like, no, there needs to be younger blood anyways. Um, I actually feel like, yes, the, the U.S. team could be an underdog. And what a healthy situation to be in, that you have all these young players that are fighting uh, to change this team. It's going to be a full-on revamp of this team. We know this, right? COVID delayed some of these players retiring, delayed the Olympics, as we know. You know, many of them were well into the mid, mid and late 30s, and it has to change. I mean, this is the time to do it. So I think it's great to see this revamp. I think you're going to have a lot of hungry players that want to reestablish this culture with the team in terms of, okay, the young kids are going to come in and also have a little swagger to them that this is what the Americans can do on the women's side in football and that it's not just, you know, something of the past. This next group is going to be great as well. There she is, Julie Foudy, gold medalist in the Olympics, World Cup champion with the U.S. women's national team. And as we know here on Football Americas, an investor in Angel City FC of the NWSL. Julie, thanks as always for the time. Thanks, guys. Julie and I will be on the call. Australia against the United States early wake up Tuesday, 4 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN and streaming live on the ESPN app. Do not miss it. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Mekis's repechaje weekend in the books. Four advance and four go home. Santos, two nothing winners over Atletico San Luis. Pumas with an upset. Two one win away over Toluca. Rayados beating the defending champions Cruz Azul four to one. And how about that game between Puebla and Chivas? Two two until penalties where Puebla wins six to five. Look at that smile on Hercules Gomez's face. It wouldn't be uh, any other way. Let's start there with the Chivas game. Uh, what happened to Chivas in this match, this game, Herc, that was supposed to define or maybe even redefine their season? 
actually think it defines perfectly Michel Leaño and Michel Leaño's season. Uh, it, quite frankly, was the best game I've seen Chivas under Michel Leaño. He finally mm. puts Isaac Brizuela in an offensive position. He realized he's a winger. He's not a right back, and he does very well. Goal and an assist for 70-odd minutes. I thought Chivas was the better team. But then he betrays who he is, who he says he is anyways, and he reverts to a defensive team. Three subs in the 76 minutes. Angulo, Brizuela, and Molino come out, three of your most experienced players. And let me read you the names of who comes in. Huerta, Antuna, and Beltran. Uriel Antuna is about the most experienced of that bunch, but not necessarily you know, going to scream experience or scream confidence in what you have right there. And they just were trying to absorb pressure. They were trying to not break. But goes on and makes a few other subs, including uh, Pollo Briseño, to combat the arrow duels. And it ended up being one of those arrow duels, a great, spectacular goal header off a corner kick that ends up doing them in. Then they go to penalty kicks. Excuse me. And guess what? He doesn't have any experience to take the spots. All of a sudden, your most, in, or your most experienced player is Uriel Antuna taking a penalty kick. Molina, he's gone. Brizuela, he's gone. Everybody and anybody of experience, of peso, is not on the field. It's like Michele Año betrayed himself, his mm. essence. In the best game I've seen from Chivas, the worst decision I've seen from Leaño. You say the best game for Chivas under Leaño. I don't know if that means they played well, though. They were still outshot <laughs> 17 to 10 by Puebla. So it's not like they were bossing well, the game. It's not like they were in total those control. Those 14 minutes, they were absorbing a lot. And what I mean by best game is when you look at who this team was, they scored five goals mm. in the previous eight with Michel Leaño. They didn't exactly scream offensive, you know, power, offensive uh, uh, style. They looked like a better offensive team. They looked like he had a clear idea. He finally plays with the nine in Angel Saldivar. I thought he did extremely well. It looked like a better team, but in the end, same Chivas. Yeah, they lose this game because they're not that good. I mean, they're away to Puebla, so, you know, they're the underdog, technically based on what happened in the season. They accumulated less points, and they do what bad teams do. You give up a goal on a set piece when you have the lead in the 89th minute. That's who Chivas is. More than anything else that you've said, that's who Chivas is in recent times. They're a team that doesn't win at the end of the games because they're not that good. Tuleano, real quickly, do you leave the season any more convinced that he's the right or the wrong man for Chivas? I'm indifferent about Leaño, and that's a scary thing for a huge club like Chivas to have. Mm. You can't be indifferent with people in charge, with the man in charge who's supposed to be at the helm uh, in this coaching tree. You can't just have an indifference about him. You need to be convinced. You need to be saying, this is the man who's going to do it. But I don't know if there is a man to do it, Seb. You talked about this is who Chivas is. This is eight straight Liguillas were there. They've only made it once. I mean, mm. out of those eight, the last eight, they've only made it once. And that's because, you know... Chico Tassos, Memo Ochoa, yep. what happened in that America game? Uh, Amaury Vergara, the young owner, has uh, made himself the responsable. He's the guy uh, responsible for the fracaso, at least uh, according to his words. Speaking of fracaso, no other way to label what happened to Cruz Azul against Rayados in the repechaje. They not only lose, and they not only lose at home, Herc, but yeah. they lose 4-1. to one. The question here is about their manager, Juan Reynoso, who, of course, led them to the first title in 24 years earlier this year. Does he get a free pass, then, for this home fracaso? 
you want to give him a fracaso pass because this word gets thrown around a lot. I'm going to give it to him and let me explain why. Wow. This team went 23 years. How generous. Years, 23 years without How romantic Hercules Gomez. And, and all of a sudden in the span of four months, you want him to repeat. Mm -hmm. You know how they start out the season? More than eight players were either injured, starting goalkeeper Corona, one of them broke his forearm, COVID issues, Olympics, Gold Cup, and Copa America. They just recently, if not this game, had the opportunity to field their best team, a complete team, and their best players. Luis Romo, not on the pitch because he's not mm. doing well. Orbelin, I'm sorry, was it, uh, yes, Orbelin Pineda wasn't on the pitch to start out. Cabecita, who last year was the best player in all of CONCACAF. Not Andre Pierre Gignac. Not well, who Carlos takes Vela. those decisions? Reynoso. So well, why are you giving him a free pass? Well, because he made the right decision because these players aren't in form. Tell me which one of these players is in form. It's not his fault that they're not in form. It's not his fault that this club and country span of playing games all the time has taken a toll on these players, and they're not good. I'm going to give it to him just this once because this was the last – before this, before this uh, championship run – 23 years ago, he was the last person to lift that trophy. I will give him a pass this once. But that champagne hangover can't be here next season. So you're putting a lot of weight on the fact that Reynoso took them to the first title in 24 years. But I would question you with what's the weight of how bad these fracasos have been? Because they're not fracasos in result only. You're losing 4-1 to one at home. Not just here, but we saw it in the CONCACAF Champions League second leg of the yeah. semifinals as well. These are really heavy defeats, Herc. And if you look forward and you're Cruz Azul and you're thinking, well, is Juan Reynoso going to get us back to where we want to go? I think we could be talking here of end of an era, last dance type stuff. You mentioned Orbelin Pineda. We know he's gone to Celta. Luis Romo, end of contract. He could be going to Europe as well. This this feels like the window may be shut now on Cruz Azul. So Am I our wrong? colleague at the Portes Leon, Lecanda, has mentioned that at least five of these starters will be on their way out. So there is an implosion, if you will, happening. I don't believe that's all on Juan Reynoso. A club with the resources of Cruz Azul, with the star power, or the, I should say, draw of Cruz Azul, can get big-time players. So you will see uh, not a, what do they say? We're not going to, it's, oh, how does it Espanol. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's in English. We're, we're going to reload, okay? They're nah, not going we're to not gonna rebuild. They're going to reload. Gonna rebuild. There we go. There we're we gonna go. We're going to reload. But this there is what it is. is, Seb. It's exactly what it is. Okay, so let's take a look then at the quarterfinal matchups. We know Rayados will be advancing. Uh, Monterrey drawing Atlas there in the matchup first leg to go down on Wednesday. We got Tigres Santos. Ooh, the uh, Hercules Gomez X matchup right there. Leon That's and Puebla game, as well. Seb. But everybody is talking about this. Clásico Capitalino, Club América and Pumas. First leg at Seú on Wednesday. The second leg Saturday night at the Estadio Azteca. Uh, Herc, I'm an América fan and I'm always pessimistic. But how worried should Americanistas be of this showdown with Pumas? Look at me for two seconds. Don't say anything. Oh, my God, you're worried. <laughs> Can you tell? Yes, and you should be yeah. worried. I know América on paper is the best team in Liga Amekis, because that's what the record indicates, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. uh, the second half of the season, they were still the hottest team, even though they had a very, very favorable calendar in the first half of the season. 14 points out of the last 18 games. Do you know what Pumas had out of the last 
six games, 18 points available. They had 13 points, one point less. This is a team that's now confident, confident in their play, confident in themselves against a team in America that I don't think feels too confident. Their last game, November 6th. That's 18 days between their last game and this game. How a much of a factor is that? Those 18 days specifically, Herc, how much of a worry is that for America? Well, for certain clubs, it can be a huge worry because it's that rhythm. When you're in a playoff-type scenario, that rhythm is important. But sometimes due to injuries or players maybe not being in that form, it could be a welcoming 18 days, a welcoming break. Which category is America in? I think that's the America category. They're actually losing their best player, mm. arguably their best player, I should say, in Pedro Aquino. He had an unfortunate injury with Peru on national team duty in World Cup qualifiers in South America, so he's gone. I think that changes the complexion of America and America's play. This is a team that their last four competitive games, three Liga Mekis, one Conca Champions, scored two goals. Mm. This was the most offensive team and now can't find the back of the net. I don't feel their players right now are confident. I don't feel Santiago Solari is showing that confidence to the fans out there. This is a trap game for America. Hmm. What about the classical factor? I wonder how much that rivalry uh, yeah. plays into this here because uh, not only does Pumas maybe have that extra little bit of motivation, but they also, we can say, are playing with house money, right? They've achieved, they got the win to kind of salvage their season that Chivas needed. So Pumas here really has almost no pressure. That's why I'm worried about them. I, I'm scared of a Pumas with no fear. You should be scared of a Pumas with no fear. And I know the... Records are against them. History is against Pumas in this type of game, especially a two-legged affair. Uh, but this is a very dangerous Pumas team. Nobody, nobody mm. gave Pumas a chance. Pumas was a laughing stock in the first half of the season. Much, very much to, I should say, the last three, four games, people were still putting them out, doubting them. They had the last three games and eight-game span, ten-game span, and people were saying there's no chance Pumas are getting in, and yet they got in. And look at them here. They beat Toluca, who... Many of us, this guy here said, would happen because of Toluca's form and whatnot. But this, this is a very confident team in Pumas. And in a two-legged affair, if they can keep if they can keep that Azteca game somewhat mm. respectable, I think they could do something special uh, in Seoul. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? The, the first game is in Seoul. If Pumas can keep a clean sheet there and keep America away from that uh, away goal, then uh, yeah. you might like their chances. But, uh, yeah, certainly if you look back at the regular season, they did play, and America won the game 2-0. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's go from Liga Amekis to Major League Soccer. Herc, the good, the bad, and the ugly from the first weekend of playoff action. We'll start with Philly and New York. And Jacob Glesnies, who got this game winner, Herc, in the 123rd minute. It, every time I see this guy score, it's a banger. That's all he does are bangers. It's a walk-off. It's a walk-off. Uh, I feel kind of bad for the Metro Stars here. I really do. Why? Two handballs that weren't called. I know I called them the Metro stuff. Two handballs that weren't called in their favor. No VAR look. And then they got to end their season this way. It feels really hard done. 
Philadelphia Union and uh, and Jim Curtin celebrating the one nothing victory that took uh, the extra half hour there at home over the New York Red Bulls. Fun quote here from Jim Curtin. You saw a lot of turnovers, mistakes, second balls, fighting, head balls, clearances, collisions, yellow cards. It was chaos. Definitely set soccer back probably 10 years in terms of if you actually broke down uh, the style of play. Herc, is he wrong? <laughs> no, I was actually watching this on my phone. Uh, I was out with the family trying to get through this game with a few pints. It was very difficult. There you go. Uh, four shots on goal total uh, between the two teams in 120 plus minutes. So that was bad. Uh, this apparently worse though. New York City FC beating Atlanta United at Yankee Stadium. But this is all about the scene, Herc. An MLS playoff game on a baseball field. If this is bad, it's bad in the way of a bad look. Yeah, optics aren't great, right? This is, for my money, one of the most entertaining teams in the last three, four years, and they play on a baseball field, where when you televise it, it looks terrible. It looks minor league for Major League Soccer. If you're a casual fan and see this, of no interest should you watch another Major League Soccer game ever, because this is what you think it is. And it's unfortunate, because this team actually plays well. This team actually is attractive to the eye. The dimensions at Yankee Stadium, beyond just you know the bad look factor in terms of publicity for the league or for New York City FC, I think it has a huge impact, maybe not even so much on New York City, but on their rivals. Yeah. Other teams, when they go there, looked really really uncomfortable playing in that field. I know people say it's 70 yards or whatever, it's FIFA regulations, but man, it does not look that way. From the, from the penalty area to the, to the, to, you know, to the, to the sideline, looks like it's about 10 feet, um, even if that. When we think about New York City FC then advancing in the playoffs, we know, Herc, they're not going to be at home. In fact, their next game will be against the New England Revolution at Gillette. How much does that hurt New York City? Do you think they can, they can go away and, and enjoy the same type of success that they've had? At Yankee Stadium. So there's a lot to be said for momentum, right? And this is a team with a lot of momentum right now. They got playmakers all over the field. Tati Castellanos is, is, for my money, the most complete player in the league. Also the golden boot, Seb. Uh, but New England's coming to come off 23-day layoff, if I'm not mistaken, against a team that's kind of used to playing on the road a lot. Even when they were at home, they were playing at Red Bull Stadium, or Arena, I should say. They weren't really at home. I know what you're saying about it hurts teams to play at Yankee Stadium, and that may be true. That may be true because you saw an Atlanta team who didn't look comfortable. It's an Atlanta team who wants to spread you out, get 1v1s going everywhere, have players running at you with speed, which they can't because all of a sudden it feels like everybody's on top of you. That won't be the case here for New England. It won't be the case for New York City FC. I actually do see a little bit more of an open uh, game between the two. And I know New York City FC, at least on paper, is a pretty mediocre away team. But yeah. no Adam Buxa, 23-day uh, layoff. Uh, you've got a very motivated New York City FC team. I just feel like this has the makings to be that trap game that we talk about, and I, I don't think New York um, fears New England at this point. Look, you really can't ignore that New York City is a vastly different team away than they are at home. Home, 10-3-4, away from Yankee Stadium, 4-8-5. Let's see what happens when they uh, do battle against the New England Revolution. Let's go to the ugly. This is from the Western Conference. Feisty match between Minnesota and Portland. Portland ends up winning 3-1. This late in the game, 84th minute, Franco Fragapane with the two-footed lunging tackle on Diego Chara. Uh, somehow, Herc, this was not a red. No, I called this game, <clears throat> excuse me, called this game for Deportes and Mabiala was visibly upset and rightfully so. This was a criminal tackle. 
Much credit to Diego Chara for not falling into, into play here. He could have easily retaliated. He he took it uh, in stride, but this is criminal. The, the fact that this didn't go to VAR, this wasn't the only play. Pro referees had a field day because there was also a handball not called in favor of Minnesota that could have swung momentum in their way. Uh, but this is ugly on, on all factors. And I know that you're going to bring up, this is the handball right here. I mean, Ashpia's holding his hand from the pain that he took on that shot. On his hand, like a, like a, like a kid who just got yelled at for stealing a cookie out of the cookie jar. So, so yeah. this is the other play. I know you're going to bring in right now uh, just a little context of Fragapane uh, and Diego Chara, but pro referee, I mean, the fact that you have VAR and you don't use it to me is criminal. I was calling this game and we were, we were dumbfounded by the lack of just capacity to use this great resource. So you mentioned the history between these two. Back in late June, Chara alleged that Fragapane used a racial slur against him uh, in a game between Portland and Minnesota. Uh, the league couldn't verify or deny the claims, uh, and so Fragapane was allowed to return to Minnesota United. But some history clearly between those two players, uh, those two teams, and it seems to boil over there at the end of that game, which in yeah. the end sees Portland advance, something that I called when I told you that they were my dark horse team in the West, and your dark horse team was Minnesota United. Once again, Hercules Gomez. That wasn't my dark horse team. Didn't Wrong. you just say, didn't you just say that football, Atlanta was Americas. your dark horse team? What a moment. Oh, I, we forgot about that. We moved past the Eastern <laughs> Conference moments ago. Moments ago. Uh, in case you missed it, elsewhere in the Western Conference, Sporting Kansas City, 3-1 winners over Vancouver. Graham Zussi, golazo, Herc. You love it. I do love it. Graham Zussi was a rookie with me. I was not a rookie. He was a rookie oh when gosh. I was at Kansas City. How old is this guy? Yeah, he's 35. It says right there on the screen. Zeb. Uh, and he's been doing this since his rookie year when he played as a central midfielder. Now as a right back, he has everything in front of him. Of course he can do this because he's got that type of ability. You say he can do this almost as if he's done it before. Let's flash back to 2014 for Sporting Kansas City. Almost the exact same spot, huh? San Susi! San Susi! This man will never pay for, pay for a margarita or a tequila shot in Mexico ever again. He will never go to Cancun or Tulum and pay for a drink. So there it is, uh, Graham Zussi with uh, plenty of playoff glory during his uh, long career with Sporting Kansas City. Let's go up north. The Canadian Championship, Herc, held over the weekend. Canada's cup competition between Montreal and Toronto FC coming down to the final and how about this in what has been a uh, difficult year for Canadian teams in MLS when it comes to the Canadian Championship Herc we knew somebody from Canada was going to win it and it was indeed CF Montreal uh, with a 1-0 winner over Toronto FC Romel Kyoto the game winner in the 72nd minute Herc I know this breaks your Toronto FC loving heart no it doesn't uh, did you see that ball by the way Jordi Mihailovic uh, what a season for this guy. He's got to get a call up soon. Uh, Romelo Kyoto, this is a sick finish. Nasty finish. Toronto FC, this has been their season in a nutshell. It is what it is. Montreal deserved it. Montreal then winning the Canadian Championship and the corresponding CONCACAF Champions League spot that comes with it. Speaking of Toronto FC, we got a report. Josie Altidore is set to depart the club. So is general manager Ali Curtis, big news, Herc, out of your former hometown. Yeah, listen, Josie Altidore, 
is the reason that Toronto FC is where they are today. And I mean trophy case. They wouldn't be the team they are, a super club within Major League Soccer if not for Josie Alter. MLS Cups, Canadian Cups, CONCACAF Champions League runs, whatever you want, he's spearheaded it all. That 2017 team with Toronto FC, Josie Alter, Sebastian Javinko, Michael Bradley, uh, Osorio, uh, Delgado, one of the funnest teams I've ever seen, the best team in MLS history for me. There you have it. Could be the dawn of a new era when it comes to Toronto FC. USL, Doy, the Eastern Conference Final. Herc, I don't know if you caught this over the weekend. Just uh, incredible, incredible game between Tampa Bay Rowdies uh, and Louisville City. Now, Louisville City actually went up. Not just one goal, two goals in this matchup. Brian Ownby scored in the 10th minute, and then an own goal from the Tampa Bay Rowdies in the 23rd. And Tampa Bay Rowdies, one of the longest tenured clubs in the USL, found themselves in a pretty deep hole pretty early in this game. But Herc, what a comeback. Starting in the 83rd minute, they get a couple of goals to even things up. There's the first slicing into the lead. And then the Tampa Bay Rowdies would finish things off. Sixth minute, Hearth. Sixth minute of extra time. The late equalizer to make it two to two. The boys in green and gold were not done from there. Look at that ball. As they end this in extra time. Dos Santos there with your game winner for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. What a comeback, Herc. <sighs> Ridiculous comeback. Ridiculous ball. In front of the hometown fans, what a game. What a game indeed. Tampa Bay then moving on to the USL Championship Final where they draw Orange County SC. Orange County advancing in penalties uh, in their semifinal in Western Conference Championship there over San Antonio. For more on an incredible semifinal and a look forward to the final of the USL Championship this coming weekend. We welcome in Aaron Guillen to the show, defender for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. All right, we just saw that crazy highlight. You guys are down 2 nothing in the semifinal. So walk me through the comeback because you guys left it till late. That first goal, my man, doesn't come till the 84th minute. Yeah, honestly, I, I can't even walk you through that moment. It's, it's just unbelievable what what happened in that game it, it's the craziest game i've ever been part of uh but we knew that that we needed one goal to put us back in the game and that's what we needed and that's what we did uh late in the game and we had that stoppage time and, and we were just we're super happy that we were able to pull a comeback Aaron, talk to me about Tampa, because it seems like a crazy sports town, a crazy soccer town, a sellout in the semifinal. What's it like playing in Tampa in front of those fans? No, it's, it's unbelievable, especially these couple last games that we had a full crowd. Like you said, it's you you get that, that extra motivation and you want to play for, for these fans that are helping you and yelling at you the entire game and just motivating you to, to, the be to do the best that you can and, and give them this win. It's, un it's unbelievable. I can't put it into words. Aaron, I want to get into your story a little bit, right? You're born in Mexico, but I know you spent a lot of your time as a young man uh, in El Paso. What's going on in El Paso, right? What's in the water down there? We got Ricardo Pepe. We got Santiago Munoz. We got all these talented youngsters uh, who are doing big things. What's the soccer scene like down there in El Paso, and why is there so much talent coming out? Yeah, I mean, it, it all started with a with, uh, when FC Dallas opened the doors for, for all these young players, uh, I was, I think, one of the first ones to to make that jump from El Paso to the academy to to FC Dallas. And I think just the way that that 
channel works and, and everything that, that they're doing at FC Dallas Academy as well is just producing all these players. And it, it's just all the work that, that everyone's putting back home. Aaron, you're Mexican-American. Uh, who do you root for? Do you root for the Mexican national team, the U.S. men's national team? And after you answer that, maybe talk to me about some of the difficulties a Mexican-American or a dual national faces when choosing these type of things. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I, I honestly uh, support the Mexican national team. I, I grew up in Mexico. Uh, my whole family is Mexican, and we just grew up watching La Selección. And, and that, that was every time that they played, it, it was a team that, that we supported. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's very hard to, to pick uh, what national team to play for when, when you have both both options, obviously. I mean, you, you see Pepe now picking the, the U.S. national team, and obviously that was a great uh, decision from his side because he's done well so far as with all the caps that he's gotten. But, like, yeah, it's super hard because you, you want to stay true to your roots. But also in my case, uh, the U.S. has given me everything soccer-wise. So, so what do you decide? Do you go with where you were born or you were, where you were born uh, soccer-wise? So I think it's really hard for, for any player to, to make that jump in that decision. Aaron, let's get back to the final then this weekend against Orange County. What are the keys for the Tampa Bay Rowdies to bring back that trophy? No, I think we just need to focus on, on what we've been doing it, uh, the entire season. I mean, we had a great season through throughout the entire year, just focusing on ourselves and and just doing everything in our power, just going to to practice, showing up, listening to what the coaching staff is giving us, going through video, uh, learning learning what Orange County wants to do and what they've been doing throughout the week, I mean, throughout the, the season, and, and just do what we do and and hopefully put another show on Sunday and, and hopefully getting that, that trophy. All right, Aaron, great stuff, my man. Great to have you here on Football Americas. Good luck on the weekend, and uh, good luck as you try to bring back another trophy to title town. Tampa Bay, USA. Thanks for joining Orozco us. For me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Have a good one. There he is, uh, Aaron Gann of the uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies. The USL Championship Final Sunday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 p.m. Pacific on ESPN. Tampa Bay Rowdies, Orange County SC. Do not miss it. All right, so that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Thanks so much for joining us. And speaking of giving thanks, we will be back on Thursday with a special edition, CONCACAF, at the midway point, sort of, just past the midway point, qualifying extravaganza, okay? So do not okay. miss it as we cover all things CONCACAF World Cup qualifying from Canada at the top of the table I to Honduras all the way at the bottom. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. We'll see you Thursday on the next edition of Football Americas. Don't miss oh. it.